there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with lead pastor Rob Carmack. Enjoy the sermon! It's really great to see everybody. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, we, we realize that there are so many different ways that you could have spent your Christmas Eve and that you decided to spend it with us is, is truly an honor. And... Um, Christmas Eve is one of the one of the services, one of the only services of the year where you can totally tell just by the by the energy in the room that everybody's really ready to get out of here because there's other stuff to do. Um, there's a Christmas things like this is one stop on for for some of you to, for, as for, far as today goes, you're just getting started because you still have like one, two, three, four, five, six houses to go to because everybody wants a piece of your time between now and the end of day tomorrow. So this is this is stop maybe one of several, and uh, we appreciate that this is this is one of the things that you decided to do with your time, and um, be, because I know, like, I, I don't know about your kids. My kids have been doing, like, uh, like how, how many more days until Christmas, like, for a while now, and um, and that that's just sort of, like, part of the fun of being a kid at Christmas time is it, 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 it's almost excruciating the amount of waiting you have to do. There, there's so much, there's so much waiting. There's so much like counting down and waiting for school to be out, waiting for holiday parties, waiting for presents, waiting for family time, waiting for get togethers, just lots and lots and lots of waiting. Whereas now I feel like I look at the, the calendar and I think, oh no, we only have a couple more days left and I, we, there, we, there's so much to do. So it goes from like the waiting part of it to the, uh, not, I don't want to say dreading, but like sort of the, oh no, like, deer in headlights kind of feeling when you when you realize that Christmas is almost here. Um, and what I didn't know growing up when the waiting was such a was such an enormous part of all of this is that in the church tradition of Advent, which is the season that leads up to Christmas, that waiting is the whole point. Like the, the, the couple of weeks, the three or four weeks leading up to Christmas, the whole point is to simulate the notion of waiting and, and the, the feeling of, oh, oh there, there's something coming that's good. And we're waiting for that thing to arrive. The Christmas season is built around the idea of anticipation and longing. So if you will, uh, if you have a Bible, I, we didn't print the verses for you, but if you have a Bible, um, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Um, so several, um, several generations before the birth of Jesus, uh, during the Babylonian exile, there was a prophet named Isaiah who began to talk about what it might look like if the full goodness and grace of God were to show up in the flesh, in the world. Because at the time, there was a lot of, there was a sense of dread. There was a sense of despair. There was a sense of all hope is lost because of the exile and because their city had been destroyed and because their enemies had seemingly won. And so there is this prophet named Isaiah who begins to speak out of this, this season of dread and sorrow and despair. And here's a small part of what Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. He writes, The people walking in darkness have seen great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, and speaking in prayer as if to God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, which is a weird thing to say to a group of people who are living in exile. It says, They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment roiled, rolled in blood will, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And then watch this in verse 6. For unto us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting father, prince of peace. Does any of this sound familiar? Yeah. So we have this ancient language about when the boot of, a, of the oppressor is on our neck and when suffering seems to be the only reality that we know, there is this language of, yeah, but there's coming a story. There, there will come a presence uh, that the, 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 the God will dwell among us in flesh and blood. And then when that happens, oh, the blessed train. Um, <laughs> and when that happens, when, when God steps into flesh and blood, then all of a sudden it will be like the day the, the warriors come home and divide the plunder. It will, it will be like um, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, as people rejoice at the harvest. It will be this unbelievable sense of, oh, this is what it was supposed to be like all along. Because unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So now take this idea this idea that Isaiah gives us, and fast forward a few hundred years to Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 2, there's a new oppressor. The Babylonian Empire is no longer part of the system, but now Rome has taken over. The Roman Empire is in charge. And while they're in their homeland, there's still this sense of despair. There's still this sense of somebody else has all the power, and they're using it to oppress and squash us in a certain kind of way. And so out of this story some new language begins to develop. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus, who's the ruler of Rome, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So the story takes place in a time of darkness, in a time of powerlessness, in a time of hopelessness for lots and lots and lots of people. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to this sense of darkness, despair. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. This, this sense of longing, the sense of I, I, we, we're just waiting for a time when things will be the way they were always meant to be. So the story takes place in this time, and it has these echoes that call back to Isaiah, because Isaiah was also writing at a time of darkness. And Isaiah speaks into this time and begins using this language about, for unto us a son is given. And here we have Mary, who has given birth to a son. The birth of Jesus in Luke is framed as a contrast to the darkness. The story starts with Caesar Augustus, but it ends in a whole different place. It ends with, unto us a son is born. The birth of Jesus takes place in a setting where a common refrain on people's lips was, Caesar is Lord. So if you are, if you are born into a world in which Caesar is Lord, and then all of a sudden people start using language like, Jesus is Lord, it begins to flip the script on the story quite quickly. So this is why it's so meaningful that we light our homes and our streets with Christmas lights every year. Because it's not just because they're pretty, although they are. It's because it's a way of reminding ourselves that this whole story, the story of Christmas, is about light bursting out of the darkness. Why do people wait for an, over an hour to get into a neighborhood to look at Christmas lights? Because there's something that draws us to the light. 
there is something that draws us to light in the midst of darkness. And the story is about light bursting forth in the midst of darkness. Let's finish the story. Look at verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they, had se- when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. For people living at this time, the birth of Jesus was symbolic of this new, vibrant, restoring life bursting into the world. It meant there was a new world coming that was filled with goodness and grace and peace and love that was crashing into a world that was desperately missing those things. No wonder a weary world rejoices because the whole thing is moving towards light bursting out of the darkness. So maybe for you, this Christmas, this season, is a time that that it, that is follow that follows a long period of darkness and sadness and despair and hopelessness. So for you, may this season, may Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, may the next few weeks, may this this next year, be begin with this sense of oh, there's light bursting out of the darkness. There's this beautiful light that we're being drawn to. May you may you be may you find yourself living in a world in which a weary world rejoices. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this beautiful, timeless story, for this reminder that when Jesus is born, it's in a world filled with darkness, and that the whole thing is moving towards the light. And may we, as we light our candles, as we sing our songs, as we go into the homes of family and friends, as we go back to our own homes, May we take a few moments to remember that the whole thing is about light bursting out of the darkness. May we be drawn to the light. May we be purveyors of this light. May we bring more light into the world. May Christmas be a reminder that we are also invited to be lights in the darkness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. to reconcile coming like a child holy night oh light our hopes and all our fears met within your sight holy night
This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.